right, we'll go ahead, take your Bibles, go to 2 Samuel tonight. 2 Samuel chapter 23, and tonight we're going to uh, take a look at a great man, probably one of the greatest men, um, but this man, as great as he was, and while there's a lot of wonderful things we could say about him, and while there's some wonderful things that are going to be said about him here in this passage, one thing we know about this man is that he was not a very good father. We're going to look at a bad example of a father tonight, of someone who is a very great man. And you know what? I'm all for greatness. I want to be, you know, I want to be great in what I do. I want to be the best in what I do. But boy, I would if you ask me, I think I'd be a failure if I was a great pastor, if I was a great, you know, whatever, and I was a sorry dad. I mean, you don't. There's, there's just nothing more precious than your children that God gives you, and that's just not something that you want to mess up. And we're going to look at somebody who did, and that man was King David. David, as many wonderful things we could say about David, David was not a very good father. And look at what it says in Second Samuel chapter twenty-three, verse one. It says now, be, these be the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, said. And the man who was raised up on high, the anointed of God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel. Notice all these things that say about David. He was a great man. He was a good king. Yes, he made some pretty big mistakes. But at the same time, uh, he, he, he was a sorry father. And a lot of his mistakes he made hurt his children greatly. And a lot of his mistakes he made were with his children. And we're going to look at those. But look, he said, "...the Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and His word was in my tongue." The God of Israel said, The rock of Israel spake to me, He that ruleth over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. And he shall be as the light of the morning when the sun riseth, even a morning without clouds as the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after rain. Although my house be not so with God, yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things, and sure... For this is all my salvation and all my desire, although he make it not to grow. Notice he's saying all these things that God does about you know how he causes things to grow, but then he mentions his house and he says, But my house is not so. My house is not blossoming, my house is not growing like it should. David's house, we are going to see at this point in his life after and even and it started all before that, it was a mess. His house was not doing real good. And I think we don't have to search too deep in the life of David to find out exactly what happened and what messed it all up. And so look at... Um, turn to Second Samuel chapter 3. Second Samuel chapter 3. We're going to see some things that are just very clear signs. If you see somebody doing this, um, they're just asking for trouble. And in Second Samuel chapter 3, verse 2... It says, "...unto David were born in Hebron, and sons were born in Hebron, and his firstborn was Amnon of Ahinoam the Jezreelitess." Now, try to think about, remember these people, okay? Notice Amnon. We're going to look at Amnon. His mother was Ahinoam the Jezreelitess. The second, Chiliab of Abigail, the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. So he's got son number two with another wife. And the third, Absalom the son of Mecca, the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur. We all know Absalom. We're going to be looking at him by another woman. And the fourth, Adonijah, the son of Haggith, 
and the fifth, Shephatiah, the son of Abitel, the sixth, Ithream, by Eglah, David's wife. These were born unto David in Hebron. So here we see six sons born from six different wives. And uh, right there is where David's problem started. Right there, David was asking for trouble. He was creating a recipe for a messed up house for problems when he failed to just be faithful to one woman. He should have just picked one wife and stayed with that one wife, had children with that one wife, but he did like many kings did. After him, they married many women. And notice Solomon. We're not going to be talking really about Solomon tonight, but while David had many wives, and he had more than just these six, he had Michael before them, he has Bathsheba later, but Solomon, he ended up having 700 wives, didn't he? And that principle there, you see often you know, what parents do in moderation. You know, the children will do in excess. And boy, you sure see that when it comes to Solomon. But all the problems we see between David and his children, they were all between half-brothers and half-sisters. Whenever you start seeing the fighting, whenever you start looking at the problems, and you're noticing the names of the people that are in there, these were problems that happened with half-brothers and half-sisters. And listen, my kids, they're all full-blooded, you know, full brothers and full sisters, and they have their issues too. But I'm going to tell you right now, you're just not going to have a real structured home. You're not going to have a real good foundation when all your kids have different parents. When they all have different moms or different dads, that just, it's a recipe for disaster. There are good step-parents that are out there. There are. There's good step-parents that are out there that do their best, but you know what? Nobody can take the place of real mom and dad. And, you know, every family has their issues. They have their fighting. But when you have the half-brothers, it, creates, it can create a lot of problems. We see that same type of thing happening you know, many times in the Bible when it came to children that had with multiple wives. We see Jacob, the trouble that he had with his sons. He had sons by four different women. And you see all the problems they had. And then most of the children came from Leah or the handmaids. And then he has Joseph by Rachel, makes him the favorite, which makes all the other ones hate him. And once again, you know, just it's a recipe for disaster, okay? And I know today in America we're not allowed to have multiple wives, okay? You know, nobody in here is, is married to more than one woman, but we've got a lot of people and a lot of dads that have many children with different women. And listen, maybe that you know, sometimes the first wife dies. You know, hey, you're, there's no sin uh, and marrying again and having children. But a lot of times that's not the case. It's just it's divorce and things. And you're, you're going to have a tough time having a good relationship with your children if you're not having a good relationship with their mother. And so you know there was probably problems because you know David probably had his favorite wives. You know, and you know that's going to cause problems with some of the kids. And so it just it doesn't work. And so I know today we don't have multiple wives, but either way, if you want to have a good family, if you want to be a good dad, if you want to keep some stability in the home, I recommend you have all your children with one woman. Okay, and unless that one dies, you know, just you know, so then you're free. But otherwise, just plan on all your children from one woman. I get that question all the time when people find out I have six kids. The very next question I usually get, all with the same woman. 
Yes, all at the same woman. And, and it all started after we got married. But I, I talked to a guy the other day. Uh, he mentioned that he had six kids. I was like, oh, you know, yeah. And he's like, and, I, and then I said, yeah, I got, I've got six kids too. Wow. All at the same woman? Yeah, all at the same woman. You know, how about you? Two different women. You know, <laughs> and, uh, it's, uh, and then a lot of times too, the, some of the kids they count aren't even their kids. It's their stepkids and stuff. And you know, I have talked to many children before. I remember on the bus route in LaSalle, uh, we were talking to these kids one time, two brothers, and they were referring to some of their other siblings. And I asked them, I said, how many, how many kids are in your family? And they got in a big argument over it. I'm not kidding. They were arguing over how many kids were in their family. And I was just like, and then they would try explaining their family situation. And I would just be as confused as all get out. And I know, you know, sometimes people make jokes uh, about that type of thing, you know, but it's sad for these kids. And I, I'm telling you, I have seen it firsthand where it, I would know these kids for a long time before I knew I could figure out what the deal was in their family. We had, the, we had these three boys that used to come on the bus. I mean, sweet kids, just, uh, just you know, nice kids. They, but you could tell, you know, there was something missing. You know, they. I don't, know, I don't know how to say this in a nice way, but you know, they were you know a few French fries short of a Happy Meal, I guess you could say. But you know, they, they were good kids, and and you could tell that a lot of their problems were because they were medicated like you wouldn't believe, and. Two of the boys were black, and one of the boys was white. But they referred to each other as brothers. You know, you know, sometimes people adopt and all that, but it turned out, in that case, their moms were, you know, lesbians, and one was black, and one was white. And it was confusing, and then you found out real quick what was wrong with these kids. I mean, they were, it was just sad what these poor kids dealt with. One of them, he ended up quick coming, they ended up separating because the one kid was getting violent he'd like cut himself and you know he'd pick at himself until he'd bleed and was doing all kinds of crazy things and the other mom couldn't handle it anymore and i mean just crazy stuff that shouldn't happen with kids but it does in those types of families and i'm telling you that mother father you know unit where you stay faithful to the same one forever that is the best thing and david did not have that and so as we start going and start looking at the problems that they had, I'm telling you, I do not believe he would have had these problems if these kids all would have had the same mother. And so let's, uh, let's, let's look at a few things. Because one thing we see with David, he failed to discipline his children. David was not a good disciplinarian. Look, go to 2 Samuel chapter 13. 2 Samuel chapter 13. We don't have time to read through all of this, but when you read most of the story of David... It's about the mistakes David made and the consequences as a result of those mistakes. You know, the David and Goliath story, that's the famous story that everybody knows, but there's a lot more in the Bible about bad things that David did that where he messed up. But uh, 2 Samuel 13, verse 21, uh, it says, or this is after the story, we're not going to take time to read it all, but you all know the story about Amnon who ended up raping his half-sister. Okay, and then David's firstborn, and he had a half sister, uh, whose name was Tamar, and who was the full-blooded sister of Absalom. Okay, keep that keep that in mind. 
and he ended up raping her. He, and so, and we're going to look back at a little more of that story in a little bit, but in verse 21, after this horrible, horrible thing that's taken place that no father would want, that you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy, it says in verse 21, but when David heard all these things, he was very wroth. Understandably so. I can understand him being very mad about this thing. So what did he do? Well, and Absalom spake unto his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had forced his sister Tamar. And it came to pass after two full years that Absalom had sheep shears and Baal Hazor, which is beside Ephraim, and Absalom invited the king's sons. Two years. David didn't do anything. David did nothing to his son. Now, if you go back and look in the Old Testament law, it's very clear what the penalty for rape was, and they were supposed to be killed. They were supposed to be stoned. And I know no king or no dad wants to do that to their son, but you know what? He's the king. Shouldn't he set an example of justice? This is a horrible thing that has taken place. Not only is it horrible for anyone to do that to anybody, but especially to his half-sister like that. And David does nothing. And you know, that's a lot of dads today when it comes to problems with their children. They're just do-nothing parents. They don't discipline them. And you know, I know they're adults at this point, but everything we see about David's parenting, he was kind of a do-nothing parent. Whenever there were problems with his kids, we're going to see his philosophy was kind of just do-nothing. And I'm just going to assume that he probably did that when they were little too, growing up. When they were having problems when they were little, he probably did nothing because that was what he did when they were older. And when you see the type of problems they had, I mean, that just shouldn't happen. It was not a functional family. So terrible things happen. We see that David failed to protect his children from bad influences. Okay, And go back to verse 1 of that chapter where it starts about Amnon. It says, "...and it came to pass after this that Absalom the son of David had a fair sister whose name was Tamar. And Amnon the son of David loved her. And Amnon was so vexed that he fell sick for his sister Tamar." For she was a virgin, and Amnon thought it hard for him to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very subtle man. Right here we see that Amnon, he's got a perverted desire going on, okay? But Amnon is doing what he should do. He's not doing anything. He's thinking, you know, that's wrong. You can't do that. Okay? It's very clear in the Old Testament law, they were not to marry they're half-sisters. That was, that was clear uh, in the Old Testament law. And so Amnon, he's just moving on. He's dealing with it. But he has a friend, the Bible says, who is actually a cousin who is in the house of David who is a subtle man. He's a sneaky fellow. And he's the one that ends up telling Amnon, hey, this is how you can make it happen. If you go and you read the story, Amnon... Or, Jonadab was the one that came up with the plan and he got Amnon to do this horrible deed. And it's interesting the Bible refers to him as a friend because you know it's like what kind of friend would encourage their friend to do something as horrible as Amnon did. But he was not a very good friend, but he's someone who is in the house of David and then jump to verse 29, okay? So remember, 2 years have passed and we don't have time to read the whole story, but Absalom, he has this get-together with the king's sons because he's decided that he is going to kill Amnon. Okay? Absalom has stewed about this thing for, ten, or for two years. Nothing has been done to Amnon 
after this horrible thing he'd done to Tamar. Tamar is there. She's never going to get married. She's living in her brother Absalom's house. She's been defiled. And Absalom, he loves his sister. And he's furious because nothing's being done. And so he has this plan to kill Amnon, which he ended up doing, verse 29, in the service of Absalom did unto Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose, and every man gat him upon his mule and fled. And it came to pass while they were in the way that tidings came to David, saying, Absalom has slain all the king's son, and there is not one of them left. Now, I want you to notice something here. Okay, The Bible doesn't give us all the details about what was going on and about what Jonadab knew. But Absalom has this get-together. He's conspired with his own servants of how they can kill Amnon. But somehow, word got out that Absalom had killed all of David's sons, which wasn't true. But then note, look at this. So the king, then the king arose and tear his garments and lay on the earth and all his servants stood by with their clothes rent. And Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother, the one who two years ago got Amnon to do this dastardly deed, answered and said, Let not my lord suppose that they have slain all the young men, the king's sons, for Amnon only is dead. For by the appointment of Absalom this hath been determined from the day that he forced his sister Tamar. How did Jonadab know that? The Bible doesn't tell us, but how did Jonadab know that only Amnon got killed? Now, I can understand Jonadab, if he's got half a brain, understanding why Absalom would want to kill Amnon. But at the same time, you know, he knows. He tells the king, let's, let's not suppose it's all of them. I think we're getting false news here, but... Here he comes along. It's just, no, Absalom's been planning this thing for two years. And then verse 33 says, Now therefore, let not my lord uh, the king take this thing to heart to think that all the king's sons are dead, for Amnon only is dead. But Absalom fled, and the young man that kept the watch lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, there came much people by the way of the hillside behind him. And Jonadab said unto the king, Behold, the king's sons come, as thy servant said, so it is. You know, Jonadab here is just... He's, he's a sneak, isn't he? He's the one really that's caused another tragedy. He had the first tragedy of Amnon doing what he did to Tamar. And now, Amnon's dead as a result of that. And what's Jonadab doing there? He's there standing next to the king. He's telling the king, you know, advising the king, telling him what's going on and basically scoring points with the king. Hey, king, look, just like I said, hey, you can trust me, king. Let me tell you, Jonadab was a slime ball. Jonadab was a sneak. And you know what? David, he should have had enough wisdom to know what type of man that was. And you know what? Fathers, they need to be aware of the type of children or the type, the type of people that are around their children. It's a good idea to keep an eye on your children's friends and make sure that you are not allowing bad influences in your houses. And people sometimes say, well, you know, they're family. I have to. That was, Jonadab was Amnon's cousin. But Jonadab shouldn't have been anywhere near David's kids. David should have had enough wisdom to know that, hey, this guy is bad news. I'm getting him out of my house. You would think, and the thing is, too, if David would have done something about Amnon, if David would have went to Amnon, Amnon, how could you do this? Who knows? Amnon might have told him, you know, it's kind of instinct to blame somebody else. 
I wasn't going to do anything. Jonadab talked me into doing it, and then David could have kicked Jonadab out of the house. But you know, David didn't do anything. He didn't investigate. He didn't question him, and he did nothing. And he, once again, he didn't do. He didn't pay attention to who was around his children, who their friends were, and as a result, we see now two major tragedies that have happened. Major, you know, infighting amongst. I mean, can you imagine two of your, you know, one of your kids killing one of your other kids? I mean, good night, parents. We get frustrated when the kids are just yelling at each other, and you maybe hit each other or something. But killing, just imagine what that would be like to a parent. But yet, what did David do when Absalom killed Amnon? He did nothing. Now we've got murder. David does nothing. Look what it says in verse 38. So Absalom fled and went to Geshur and was there three years. And the soul of King David longed to go forth unto Absalom, for he was comforted concerning Amnon, seeing he was dead. David's like, man, I just I want my kids. I just want my family. I want I want to have it all. I want to, I want my family to all be together. I don't want to have to deal with problems. I don't want to have to discipline my kids. But I want everybody to be able to be together. I want everybody to just be happy. I want them there for me when I need them. But David, he's just man. I just wish Absalom was here. He's not even trying to do anything. He knows where Absalom's at. He's saying, man, maybe I should go visit Absalom. But he knows that's going to make him look bad as the king. His own son murdered his half-brother. And David, once again, is doing nothing about it. And then, look at chapter 14, verse 23. Chapter 14, verse 23. says, so finally... We see in that in chapter fourteen, this woman comes to David. Jo, you know, David's missing Absalom so much. Joab comes up with this plan to have a lady come talk to David, and she kind of tells this story that she's made up, but it's basically explaining David's situation, trying to get David to bring Absalom home. And so, verse twenty-three says, "So Joab arose and went to Geshur and brought Absalom to Jerusalem. And the king said, Let him turn to his own house.'" and let him not see my face. So Absalom returned to his own house and saw not the king's face. So David gets Absalom back to Jerusalem and he's there for two years, but he won't let him see his face. He won't even look at him. And once again, what did he accomplish there? So now you have Absalom that's basically just sitting there stewing Doing nothing. He sat there stewing for two years when David did nothing about Amnon. Just think of the bitterness that was created during that time. He gets the bitterness grew to a point where he was able to kill his brother. He goes and he's kind of in hiding for three years, sitting and stewing. And then he comes back to Jerusalem. He's there for another two years, sitting and stewing, just getting bitter, and it's just eating him up. It's consuming him. David has done nothing. And then look at verse 27. It says, And unto Absalom there were uh, three sons and one daughter and uh, whose name was Tamar. She was a woman of fair countenance. And Absalom dwelt two full years in Jerusalem and saw not the king's face. Therefore Absalom sent for Joab to have sent him to the king, but he would not come to him. And when he sent again the second time, he would not come. He's like, I, he's, wanting to see, he's wanting to see his father. Therefore he said unto his servant, 
See, Joab's field is near mine, and he had barley there. Go and set it on fire. And Absalom's servant set the field on fire. Then Joab arose and came to Absalom unto his house and said unto him, Wherefore have thy servant set my field on fire? And Absalom answered Joab, Because, behold, I sent unto thee, saying, Come hither, that I may send thee to the king to say, Wherefore am I come from Geshur? It had been good for me to have been there still. Now therefore let me see the king's face, and if there be any iniquity in me, let him kill me. So Joab came to the king and told him, and when he had called for Absalom, he came to the king and bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king, and the king kissed Absalom. So right here we see that David, he's completely failed to communicate with Absalom. Absalom's just been sitting there. He's been stewing for years. And what he just wants attention from his dad. So he goes and sets Joab's field on fire. It, David's ignoring of Absalom, it caused him to do more bad just for attention. And uh, you know, a lot of dads too, they just they don't communicate. They don't talk with their children. There's no conversation. They don't know what's going on. They're not aware of maybe bitterness that's growing. They're not aware of where they're heading. A lot of times, you know, they're you know, young, you know, teenagers, they're dealing with temptations that maybe you know they don't talk with the parents about and the parents have no idea and they're not paying attention don't even seem concerned. And sometimes you'll even have kids that are trying to reach out to their parents, trying to talk to them, but the parents are ignoring them. They just don't want to deal with it. They don't want to have the problems. I've known some mothers like that. I'm, that It was like whenever there was problems with their kids, they would, they would freak out. But it wasn't so much they were mad that their kids had a problem. They were mad that they were having to deal with the problem. And I, I let me tell you, I've known some of those parents, and then it's like if you ever would confront these parents and talk to them, it's like, hey, this is going on with your child. They would flip. You know why? It's not because they were a good parent. It's not because they were defending their kids. It's because they were a sorry parent. They were a lazy parent, and they did not. They wanted to plead ignorant. They just wanted to, you know, go on their merry way, pretend like nothing's wrong, because they just didn't want to deal with the problem. And I've seen it where kids have gotten themselves in pretty big trouble just because the parent refused to deal with anything. They didn't want to talk about it. They just didn't they wanted to pretend the problem wasn't there. But you know what? That only works for so long. Eventually it's going to surface. David just tried pretending Absalom wasn't there, but eventually it was clear Absalom was there. He set in Joab's field on fire. One of David's most faithful, loyal servants. You know he's going to have something to say about it. Now there's all this trouble and David is forced to deal with it. And, we, and that happens all the time with parents. And that's why it's important that you have communication, that you're paying attention. And if you see a problem, man, don't just ignore it. You need to confront it. You need to deal with it. You need to get it over with. And so we also see that Dave, you know, so and then you know you see all these things with Absalom, and then it's not a big surprise later, and we're not going to even take time to go through that story. But y'all know the story of Absalom trying to take the kingdom over. Okay, now imagine a son trying to overthrow his father, trying to kill his own father. Who would do that? Well, someone who had a sister that was raped by his brother, and his dad did nothing. You know, one whose father ignored him, had you know, didn't pay any attention to him. I mean, just one a do nothing father like David and Absalom. He did. He 
ended up doing some terrible things during that rebellion. He did some pretty perverted things in that rebellion, if you read the story. And Absalom ended up being killed. And then David, if you go and you read the story, he just throws, I mean, he loses it. He's crying, oh, I lost another son. I lost another son. And, jo- and I think it was Joab, the kingdom said, hey, you need to go out and speak to your people. They fought a battle for you today. They won a battle for you today. And you're in here wailing about your son that these men risked their lives for you trying to stop him. And you know, David, his, you know what his problem was when it came to his kids? He only thought about himself. He really did. He was only thinking about himself. And he appears to be this great loving father because of the way he reacts, you know, and how much he loved Absalom. But there are parents out there who it's not that they love their children, it's that they love themselves. And you know, so what are you talking about with that? Well, the Bible says, He that spareth his rod hateth his son. Okay? And a lot of parents, they will not discipline their kids because oh, I just love them too much. No, you don't. You love yourself too much. You don't want to have to deal with the trouble. You don't want to have to you know, have any conflict or any problems. And you are doing something terrible to your children. You are doing them no favors when you do not discipline your children. And you know, parents, obviously, you know, they love having the kids there. They love having the relationship. They want them there for the holidays. But it's not because they love them and feel that, hey, I am good for them. I can help them have a better life. It's just that they love themselves. And if you love yourself, you're going to be concerned about your family. If you love yourself, you're going to care how your kids turn out. Because for if I'm just in love with myself and one of my children go to jail, well, I'm going to be devastated because that's going to make me look bad. Isn't it? That's going to make me look terrible. Most parents, I've known some Christian parents, when their kids end up in jail, they rush over there as fast as they can to bail them out of jail. Why? Not because they love their kids, because they love themselves. What Christian parent wants to say, my kid's sitting in the pokey tonight. None of them want to say that. Why? Because it will make them look bad. They don't love their kids. They love themselves. If they love their kids, they let them spend a night or two in there to learn their lesson. And so you got you got to understand, I think that was David's problem. David, he just loved himself. And so he, you know, he wanted to have his family all around him. He wants everything to appear wonderful. They, he wants to, you know, who cares if they're the, you know, not the perfect family? As long as everybody thinks they're the perfect family. As long as they look like a happy family. As long as he can have everybody in the family picture that they send out on Christmas to, you know, as long as they, I guess they probably didn't do that back then, but that's how a lot of people are today. Hey, as long as I can give off the appearance that we're a happy family, as long as I can get the kids to smile for two seconds so I can take a picture and post it on Facebook and make people think we're happy, to make people think that we're having fun, then that's okay. And they look like these loving parents because they are always got their kids around. Everybody looks happy in the picture. But it's not even about their kids. It's about themselves. They love themselves. And a lot of parents would do their kids a lot a big favor if they would admit... I don't care for my kids that much, but I really do care about myself. Therefore, I need things to appear okay so I can continue looking good. And I know that's pretty harsh, but it's just true 
with a lot of people, and I believe that's how it was for David. So we see that you know we have the whole thing with Absalom passes and years pass, and you might remember another one of David's children that we read about in Second Samuel chapter three, Adonijah. Okay, another one of David's children. Let's look at his story real quick. First uh, Kings chapter one. Turn over to First Kings chapter one. So I wish we had time to read through the whole story about you know I encourage you to be paying attention to these things whenever you're you know reading these stories you know pay attention to the details and what's going on but in chapter 1 verse 5 it says then Adonijah the son of Haggith exalted himself saying I will be king and he prepared him chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him and his father had not displeased him at any time in saying why hast thou done so? And he also was a very goodly man, and his mother bare him after Absalom. And he conferred with Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and with Abiathar, the priest, and they followed Adonijah and helped him. So right here, we see that David failed to name his successor. He had not yet, and David's still alive at this point, but David has not yet named who's supposed to be the next king. And this is a pretty big deal, okay? David is getting old. David is going to be dying at any time. And it's a bad thing when you have not named a successor. And the truth is, Adonijah was the next one in line as far as age goes, I believe. Uh, I think there was one that might have been out, but he's never mentioned out. We don't really know anything about him. But this can create great problems, not just in his family, but in his kingdom if he does not name a successor. One of the things that you see later on in the stories of the kings is usually when a new king would rise up, he would kill all of his brothers. Why? He didn't want any of them trying to take the throne. And that type of thing happened with the northern kingdom many times. It even happened sometime in the southern kingdom. But here's the thing. If David names his successor, if everyone knows who it is, then the other brothers have nothing to say whenever Solomon, who is the one who is supposed to be king, ends up taking the throne. There's really nothing they can do. The people aren't going to follow them. But why don't you think that David ever said anything? Well, because if David gets all his family together while he's alive and says, hey, I've decided Solomon is going to be the next king, well, guess what? we got a big family fight, don't we? And David doesn't want to deal with it. Remember, David just didn't deal with problems as a parent. And so David's just kicking the can down the road. And so Adonijah comes along. David, he's old. He's about to die. And Adonijah's like, you know what? I'm it. I'm the next king. It's me. He declares himself the king. And David doesn't stop him and say, no, sorry, it's Solomon. Why? He didn't want to have the argument. I just don't want to deal with it. That's a lot of parents today. I just, I just don't want to deal with this. If the school principal calls them into the office, they get because their kids misbehaving in school. They're mad at the school principal because you know he's just ruined their day. I had to leave work to go talk to the principal. I had to wake up from my nap to go talk to the principal. Well, you know what? Your kids having problems. You need to deal with it. Adonijah has declared himself king. He is not supposed to be king, and David 
has not stopped him. He's done nothing. And then finally Bathsheba, Solomon's mother, and Nathan the prophet, they got together and they finally got David. Alright, it is time. You have got to name Solomon king. And David ended up doing it. They ended up declaring him the king. And if you go on and you read the story, as a result of everything, Adonijah ended up getting killed. And the truth is, that shouldn't have happened. It would have been fine if David just would have said something, but David didn't want to deal with the conflict. He failed to give instruction after his passing. He did nothing when Adonijah declared himself the next king. And you know, what can we learn from that? Well, fathers, mothers too, leave a will. Okay? Leave a will. You know how many families end up you know, breaking up and splitting apart and having nothing to do with each other, brothers and sisters, after their parents die, sometimes because they're fighting over a few thousand dollars, fighting over a car, a house, or whatever, they will have these big fights and it's like parents, they don't they just don't want to deal with it. They don't want to do all. Oh, I don't want to have to pick. You know who gets what. I I don't I don't know how to make everybody happy. I don't. Well, let me tell you something. You if you don't do it, it's just going to be a big fight. There's going to be great conflict in your family. And you know what? I'd like to think that after I die, I like to think that my kids will still have something to do with each other. That they'll still get together. And you know, want to see each other in the holidays and, and care about each other. And I hope their kids, uh, you know, will be you know friends with their cousins and they can have a relationship. And you know, someday they you know they'll have you know a McMurtry family reunion that they all go to where they can get along and enjoy each other. I like to think that would happen, but you know what? And one thing my kids have in their favor is the way things are going right now. I don't know if there's going to be anything to fight over. Uh, after we die, but, any, but at the same time, even if there is, okay, I, I'm telling you, it's it's amazing how little it takes. Chances are, I'll have a vehicle that I'm driving. Somebody's going to want it. Maybe we both die or something. And you've got to leave some kind of instructions behind for what's going to happen. And you know, I think you ought to split it up. I think you ought to make it fair and all that. But don't do nothing where everybody ends up fighting with each other. That's a terrible thing to do to your family. But you know what? Many parents, they're not even thinking about their families after they die. Hey, I'm here right now. I don't want to deal with it. After I'm dead and gone, the kids can just fight over it. You know what? Once again, that's not loving your kids. That's loving yourself. That is loving yourself. Just admit it. You don't care for your kids. You love yourself. And it does. It makes you look good when your kids are happy, when your kids are doing good. But at the same time, you love yourself. Many people, they love themselves too much to want to do anything about it. And so David, he failed again in that area. And here he's got another son that he ends up losing great trouble with between Adonijah and Solomon, half-brothers once again. And David did nothing about it. It all started, once again, David having children by all these different women. And there's no doubt that David never intended for his family to turn out the way it did. His last words, you know, my house, it's not so. It's not like, you know, it, it's not flourishing. It's not growing. My house is a mess. I've lost a lot of my children that I shouldn't have lost. Things are kind of in turmoil. But it's clear he had regrets in the end. David's sins, they had consequences that affected the whole family. 
it it was terrible, the results of it. But maybe, I don't know this, I wonder if David's family, David's thoughts about his family at the end of his life is maybe what inspired the words that Solomon wrote in Proverbs 11, verse 29, where it says, He that troubleth his own house shall inherit the wind. And the fool shall be servant to the wise of heart. He that troubled his own house shall inherit the wind. What does that mean? You know, it's like, you know, taking something and just throwing it into the wind. You don't know what's going to happen. You can't just take something and just throw it into the wind and expect something good to come as a result. And when you're troubling your own house, when you're having children with multiple women, you're troubling your house. When you're not disciplining your children, you're troubling your house. When you as a father are just doing nothing, you are troubling your house. And what did he do? He inherited the wind. All kinds of things happened that he didn't want to happen. Things that he never intended. Things he didn't plan on. Why? Because he troubled his house and he inherited the wind. And I don't know about you, but I've got plans for my family. And so, if if those plans are going to accomplish anything, I can't trouble my house. I can't be doing these things that are going to cause me to inherit the wind. There's no anybody ever seen anything good come from a tornado? It usually just does damage, doesn't it? You don't want to throw something in the wind and hope things just turn out. And especially when it comes to your children. And that's how it is with a lot of the do nothing parents. It's just like, you know, as long as I you know, I just after eighteen they're gone. I just got to survive till they're 18, and then they're on their own. You know, there. Let's just throw them into the wind. Let's see what happens. And then you know what? Many of those parents end up raising their grandchildren. And I don't know about you. I, I'm enjoying raising my kids, but I don't want to raise my grandchildren. You know, the kids they wear you out. I'm 35, and they wear me out sometimes. What about when I'm 55? I'm guessing it's not going to be easier then. So uh, I want them, I want my grandkids to come over. I want to have a relationship. But you know what? I want to be able to say, all right, go home to mom and dad and then be okay. And so I don't, I, I'm, not, I'm not just going to throw my kids into the wind. I, I want to do things right because I don't want to raise my grandkids. <laughs> that Parents are better at raising kids than grandparents are. Grandparents are good at spoiling kids. And I don't want to do that. And so, David, as great of a man as he was, he wasn't a very good father. And you know, we all, there's, you know maybe there's things that we have that we're proud of, things where we're doing good. But you know what? I can be a good pastor, but I can be a sorry father. There's a lot of good pastors that are sorry fathers. I don't want, if, I, if that happens to me, I'm a failure as far as I'm concerned. I don't want that. And so that ought to be your goal too. That ought to come first in your life. That ought to be one of your greatest priorities. And I hope you'll do that. So with that, let's all stand together.